Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Christian Chapel. I'm Pastor Jeremy. We're going to dive into a new series this morning called Do Something. And don't you wish that sometimes your faith was that easy to just order up? It's, I think that video makes a wonderful point that it's easy to order up religion, but in faith, you got to do something. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what, it, what we are called to do and what we must do as we do something for Jesus and with Jesus. You know, we believe that every follower of Christ, every believer, plays an, a vital role both in this church and the greater kingdom of God around the world. Here at this church, we have core values, words we like to use like uh, serving, leadership, generosity, phrases like pray and work. The old-time monks had a Latin word that was it's too big for me to uh, try to say. But the word basically encapsulated this idea that you pray and work. You don't pray, then work. You don't work, then pray. You simultaneously pray and work with your life. I love that thought. You see, Jesus always tied faith with action. Throughout the gospel stories, he gives special recognition to those who demonstrate their faith through action. Jesus always tied love with obedience. You see that throughout the gospel as well. It's, it wasn't enough for people to say they loved God. He wants obedience. There was some demonstration of it. Love is what gives Christianity its purpose. Without it, it's just another cold, dead religion. I don't know about you, but I think in my life, when I look back, I've seen how I've had a struggle accepting God's perfect uh, love for me, this unearned, unconditional love. I, I recognize it, but I'm not sure that I fully understood or lived according to the reality of it. I think my actions and my attitude really reflected this perception that I, I don't know God loves me, but he really loves me for what I do for him. I'm more acceptable if I act a certain way, if my behavior is a certain way. Then he will love me. I know, you don't want to hear your, your pastor say that, right? But maybe you've struggled the same way. Well, yeah, I know God loves me, but he loves murderers too. So, I mean, what separates me from that? I got to prove myself. I got to prove that I'm better than a murderer, or, or most murderers anyway. There was always this underlying motivation that God couldn't truly love me just the way I was, that I had to do something else. I knew that God loved everybody, but did he really love me specifically? I mean, there's seven billion people on the planet. How could he love me specifically? Right? Oh yeah, God loves everybody. But I'm just one in a number. And yet the truth, the reality of God's love is he loves you specifically. He loves you consciously every moment. Does it boggle your mind that, the, that God can think about you as a conscious thought every moment of every day of your life? I have three kids. There's probably not a day that goes by that I don't lose one of them. Where did Robbie go? Oh, there he is. Okay. <laughs> right? They're not always consciously on my mind. Oh, I've got to 
focus on work or I got to do the lawn or something. But think about the fact that God thinks about you, has you on his conscious mind every moment of every day. (laughs) Right? But we fail to accept it. We fail to live like it because we, we accept that God can love everybody, just not me specifically. I think my perception growing up in the church, and I think sometimes we perpetuate this, is that God loves me because I go to church, because I read my Bible, because I pray or at least talk at him or in his general direction. He finds me acceptable. What the truth is, is that God already finds you acceptable because what Christ has already done, not because of what you do. And like me, if you look back, I'll say a phrase like this, and and most of you might agree. God loves you just the way you are. He accepts you just the way you are. Now, I always say he doesn't want to keep you that way. But if you're like me, you grow up in in a church sense, in a religious sense, you look back at that moment, maybe you committed your life to Christ, and you say, well, I know God accepted me back then. I didn't really know better. But now all these years later, I should know better. And God knows I should know better. And therefore, he's not happy. He's not pleased with me. It was easy for him when in that first moment that I believed him. But, but by now, I should have learned my lesson. I should, I should be better. I should, I should not be bad or not do this or I should be doing that, right? Can I just say that God is pleased with you because of what Jesus has already done for you? My behavior doesn't make me more acceptable or less acceptable to God. What Christ did makes me acceptable to God, period. What about you? How do you view yourself in light of who God is and what Jesus has done for you? Before we talk about doing something, that's where we want to start today. Jesus has done Everything needed for salvation. Faith in Jesus alone saves. End of story. Realize that you can do nothing. You can do nothing to earn your own salvation. You can't add to what Christ has already done. Ephesians 2, chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 8 through 10 says it this way. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is a gift, the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. First thing I see in the scripture is that faith in Jesus alone saves. Paul's focus throughout in this passage in, in Ephesians, and, and if you read his writings in the epistle to the Romans, he spends a great deal of t- time talking and addressing this issue that people were trying to add to the work of Christ. Well, yeah, Jesus saves, but da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Here's the list of things you have to do in order to qualify for that. And Paul addresses that here and then throughout the book of Romans. Take Romans chapter 3, for example, starting in verse 20. 
Paul writes this to the church in Rome. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of our sin. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. This word grace, unmerited favor, received as a gift because of what Christ has done. This word atonement, it's, it really is a payment of sin debt that you and I owed. Jesus pays it. Paul goes on throughout the book of Romans, and I, I just pulled out a few this morning to highlight his passion to help believers understand this love. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. And Romans 10.9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Paul makes it pretty clear. You can't add to what Jesus has already done. You could try. You would not succeed. What Jesus did in his death on the cross, his, his sinless perfect life, and raising from the dead, we can't add to it. No amount of work will make you, make you righteous. What Christ did makes you righteous. The second thing I see in this scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 that Paul talks about is this. Faith is made complete by what you do. Faith is made complete by what you do. You see, Jesus always tied faith with action. Paul says it this way, this is what you were created for. In Christ Jesus, you were created to do good works. First of all, you're God's handiwork. He created you for a purpose, His purpose, to participate in what He's already at work doing in this world. You're God's handiwork, created with a purpose through Jesus. Not only is He talking about your birth, He's talking about your rebirth. That moment that you, in your life, surrender, as, as Caleb was singing this morning, we surrender our lives, all I have is yours. That moment you do that, Jesus takes your life and makes you a new creation, the Bible tells us. He recreates you, transforms your life, and moves you into the purposes He has for the work that God is already at work doing in this world. Faith is made complete by what you do. Look at the Gospels and the people that followed Jesus. Talk about messed up. These disciples are imperfect. Their faith is messy. At times, Jesus rebukes, for, rebukes them for how little their faith is. It's imperfect. It's misguided. And it's okay. Because they're at least taking steps. Yeah, sure, Peter sunk in the water when he tried to walk on water with Jesus, but at least he got out of the boat. Sometimes our faith steps are imperfect, and yet it's faith working itself out in a very 
real sense. The second chapter of James, verses 17 through 19, says it this way. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is, what's that word? Dead. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the, even the demons believe that and shudder. Anybody else find that funny? Right? I mean, like we live in a culture that people will be like, oh, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I totally believe in God. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I'm cool with Jesus. Good, you're on par with a demon now. There's a, there's a starting level there. <laughs> right? Uh, it's in Scripture. Scripture's funny. It's not boring. You're boring. <laughs> you believe that there's one God good. Even the demons believe that. So there's a, a, a starting point that even the demons believe in God. So what's the difference? He's saying... Our faith must work itself out through what we do, not just what we say. You see, while Paul focused on saving faith, James is focusing on living faith. James focused on those who exemplified faith with action. If you follow through, I encourage you to read not only the book of Romans, but read through James this week. James goes on to focus on these heroes of faith, of the Jewish uh, faith. Abraham. Rahab, he begins to point them out and he's saying, look, their faith was perfected, their faith was made real, it was completed because they took steps, actions of faith. James lays out this basic fact. Faith and works must work together. Without good deeds, the believer is not a friend of God, but rather a friend of our world and our culture. And James' warning against faith without deeds is, is really about a gross error in Christian living than it is about final judgment. It's a distinction about, not about those who are in Christ or outside of Christ. Again, this is not about saving faith, faith. It's about living faith. It's about those who live a mature faith and those who live with immature faith. Immature faith, as one theologian puts it, can become actively unwise in its attitude toward God and His Word. I guess I'm closing already. I love Karis. What you don't know is that Karis came in late first service and apologized for coming in late. And I love your heart because now you're so early. You, <laughs> you embody the servant leadership, I, I expect. Don't go too far. <laughs> don't go too far because I'm going to shut down here in just a minute, okay? Can you all clap for my friend Karis? We love her. You don't, you don't know how close you were, so I just, uh, yeah, all right. I know, you're all like, yes, we're getting out before noon, football, Woo! No, I got you till at least noon or a few minutes after, that's right. If you don't have a DV DVR, it's, you're too bad. Listen, James isn't talking about those who are in Christ or those who are, this isn't, this is saving faith versus living faith. Immature faith can become actively unwise in its attitude toward God and the Word. Uh, 
Rick, what you said this morning about tithing, when you step into the reality of generosity using the tithe, the Old Testament tithe as your basis, you walk in obedience. And when you begin to discover the reality and the doors that it opens in your life, it's easier to walk in faith because you're like, well, that, that works. That's true. God, God is true to that part of my life. I can walk in obedience in this part of my life. Hey, listen, if I don't surrender the very areas that are, are the most treasured to me, my money for me, I don't know what it is for you, it's hard to live in obedience in any area of my life. Faith must work itself out, and the only way it works itself out is by doing something. Head knowledge will get you nowhere. Action is the binding agent that holds together what we believe and what we say we believe. It makes it real, not only for us, but for those who are observing our life. If it was only about salvation, we would commit our lives to Christ, and then Christ would go, suck them out of the world. But he doesn't. He leaves us in this world as the agent of change that he chooses to use to bring hope and salvation to this world. In math, I don't know if you remember this, but in my math class, every year, my teachers would say this regarding the work I was doing. Show your, show your work. I hated that. <laughs> I'm no math genius, but I could pretty much look at it and go, yeah, th there's the answer, right? A and, of course, in the back of the book were all the answers, too. <laughs> Show your work. Show how you got to the answer. That's already in the back of the book. And so you had to show your work. And every year I would ask the teacher, do I have to show my work? Yes, you have to show your work. Why do I have to show my work? Because it, it reinforces what you think you already know. Now apply that to your faith. Our culture is really great at saying what we think we believe. But at times, we, yes, followers of Christ, people who call themselves Christians, we do a really poor job of actually showing the work that's going on in our life. And if you're like me, it's because you're a perfectionist. You don't want you don't want to live it out until it's been perfected in your life. Dude, just live it messy in front of people. They already know you're a mess. Live out your faith, even in its imperfect state. Live it out. Take the next step. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks is what that next step might look like for you. It's going to look different to maybe to every person, but what is that next step for you to do something in your faith to let God grow your faith in you? And see what James says in verse 22 of that same chapter. He says, you see that Abraham's faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And he ends the chapter by saying, faith without works is dead. We're not talking about saving faith. He's talking about the living faith. If our piano player could come now. <laughs> I love you, Karis. I've been reading this book called Almost Christian by Kenda Creasy Dean. It talks about the faith of our teenagers, what, what, uh, what the faith of our teenagers is telling the American church and it's a hard read to read about the reality of the faith that we've passed on to the generations of young people coming after us. It shows us 
that we haven't lived the reality of faith well enough for them to pick it up. We've done a really good job of passing on religion, right? An organized expression of belief. But in America, Christianity has fallen from belief to religion. And Kenda Creasy-Dean says in her book, she says, Living faith is a faith that truly desires God and desires to love others in Christ's name, resulting in a church oriented toward bearing God's self giving love to others, embodied in a gospel-shaped way of life. Embodied in a gospel-shaped way of life. Theologian Douglas John Hall says, faith is a dialogue with, a, uh, with doubt. He goes on to say, it's a, a personal reckoning, a reckoning with God's involvement in the world and investment in our own lives. See, Christianity has always been more of a faith walk and a trust walk than a belief system. In Christianity, faith is about the one we follow and the one we choose to love. You see, believing in a person is way different than believing in beliefs. The level of expectation, the level of commitment goes up when you believe in a person than when you say you believe in a belief system. When I have utter confidence in someone, when my life clings to them, this God-man, Jesus Christ, it means that I join him in this pilgrim journey to loving and serving our world. Yes, the pilgrim journey of loving and serving our world. I think those of us who've had a personal and perhaps profound experience with Jesus, do you remember, do you remember that moment? If you're a follower of Christ, can you, can you shut your eyes and just think about that moment? That first moment you, you surrendered your life to Jesus. You, you prayed the prayer. You gave your heart to Jesus. You invited him to lead your life. Whatever phrase you choose. For some of us, it's just a hazy memory. It, it's a distant dream. But the reality of that moment hasn't changed. And God isn't disappointed in you. As you look back and go, I know, I, I should have done so much more. Now is the time to do something. Every follower of Christ plays a vital role in this church and in the kingdom work that God is already at work doing. So the question for you and I today, do we have a maturing and living faith? If you've already declared followership of Christ, is your faith maturing and, and living? Are you acting upon it? Is it impacting the way you live? Is it transforming the way you live? I know today in this room, as I was praying and preparing, I was thinking there are people in this room who fit one of two categories. Either they've never committed their lives to Christ. They've, you never said, Jesus, come in. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live for you. Or the other category is you said that prayer a long time ago and yet it's, it's hasn't made its way into the reality of your life. Then would you allow me to pray for you today? All around this room, would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me in this holy, eternal moment? You're not here by accident or coincidence. In this moment, maybe you fit one of those two categories. I'm going to ask you to respond the same way. 
In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And everyone in this room is going to pray together out loud, so you're not alone. We do things in community here. When you raise your hand, whether it's for the first time, or you say, Jeremy, I prayed that prayer a long time ago, great. Let's pray it again. And perhaps you'll have that personal profound moment again with God in this moment or tonight when you go home. So all around this room, if that's you this morning, by faith, would you do something? Would you raise your hand? Nobody's looking around. We're not going to point you out. We're just going to pray with you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. All around this room. Thank you. Anybody else? Church, we're going to pray with everyone who raised their hand this morning. By faith, we're going to receive what Christ has done for us, the work he did on the cross, dying for our sins to pay our sin debt, rising again to give us new life. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what the world is looking for is new life? And today, we get to step into the reality of that. Church, would you pray out loud with those who raised their hands this morning? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me, specifically me. Thank you for sending Jesus to live a perfect life, to to die a sinner's death, the death I deserved. I ask for forgiveness of my sins, trying to do it my own way. I invite you Jesus into my life to lead me and guide me. I choose to step into the reality of faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer with us this morning, we celebrate you. Can we clap for all those who made that decision today? If you prayed that prayer, if this is your first time, uh, stop at our Connection Center. We've got a book we want to put in your hand just to help you uh, get going on, on your journey. I have Ben, our, our youth pastor, and my wife up, up here. Why don't you join me up here real quick? You know, our students are doing something. The reality of their faith this week, they're, they're stepping into something. It's called See You at the Pole. Pastor Ben, explain to us what See You at the Pole is for those who don't know. That's right. We're proud of our students. It's a big step, especially at public school. 
bullying is one of the issues they face. And this, you know, to me is one of those opportunities. And they step out in faith to ex- express faith in Jesus Christ that they, they're exposing themselves. And so students, I'm proud of you. And church, what we're going to do today, because we believe in the power of young people, one of those core values that we hold is the, the value of generations, of raising up the next generation to do what we couldn't do or didn't do. We believe that they will be the generation. Can we pray that way? Will you pray not only this morning for our students, but pray on Wednesday, get up early. Most of them will be at their flagpoles in our country around 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning. So would you, would you cover them in your prayer? Can I use that spiritual word? Cover them in your prayers? Students who are in 6th through 12th grade, would you stand to your feet this morning all around this room? Stand up. Come on. This is a safe place. It's much safer than your flagpole probably. Church, would you just stretch out your hand to all these students standing around? Let's begin to beseech heaven on their behalf. For these young people that carry the torch into a dark world, let's pray. Father, thank you for young people. Thank you that they are the church today. They're not just the church of tomorrow, but you have a purpose and plan for them today, not years from now. Today, Tomorrow, this year, you have a wonderful plan for their life. You need them to be light and dark campuses all around this city. Father, today we pray first for their protection. Would you surround them with a legion of your angels? As Satan tries to steal, kill, and destroy their lives, would you protect them and uphold them with your righteous and mighty right hand? But more than protection, Father, we pray for your power and your presence in their life. That as they gather around flagpoles around this city and around this nation, your presence would be so evident to every student who walks by, every teacher who stands to observe, every administrator who wonders what is going on. Would you fill them with your power and cause your presence to start spiritual conversations with students and teachers? Father, I know our country has kicked you out of our schools. But our students are taking you back. For your kingdom. Bless our students. And Father, would you bless your people today as we all go from this place. Cause us to be light in a dark world, in a world that's looking for hope and life in everything, in so many things. Would you cause us to be bearers of that life in an obvious way as we live our faith in the reality of our lives so that others might see the hope we found in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. We love you. Look forward to seeing you. Those of you who are going to join us for Discover C2 or or Discover Water Baptism tonight, love to see you here at at 4 and and 6, respectively, and next week for Discover Your Place. All that's online at c2church.com. Have a great week. See you next week. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. 
If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.